Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. So good to be with you. I send you greetings here from my third floor office in Queens, New York. Today's topic is why affliction is how God develops true spiritual leaders or why affliction is the way that God develops true spiritual leaders. Before I launch into this massive topic and such an important topic, uh, I want to mention one announcement to you. We are hosting a leadership one-day event on June 15th from 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day and you'll see some details about that. Uh, on that one day, we've held it once before. It was a, a booming success, so that's why we're doing it once again. Uh, I will be offering there and giving out the uh, a new leadership scorecard for success document. It's in basically a little ebook that uh, is just for this event and uh, giving seven internal and seven external markers to measure success in a way that's flowing from the inside out more than just simply numbers and I'll be growing numerically up and to the right. And on that event, uh, I'll be talking about that scorecard for success as well as offering live leadership coaching to contexts, to case studies. So if you go on that website page at emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day, you'll see it, when you register, there's actually a case study uh, way to se send in a live situation you're wrestling with and how does EH Discipleship apply to that? And then I will choose some of those and do it live right there in front of everybody online. You can watch a little sample of that on our uh, page. So let me encourage you to come. There's a small cost to coming, but it's well worth your time. Bring yourself, your pastor, your pastor, your leader, bring your team. Uh, it will be a fantastic event. Again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. So to launch into our topic, why affliction is how God develops true spiritual leaders. I'm using the word affliction. It actually comes out of the work of Simone Weil. Uh, a French philosopher, writer, quite brilliant, but she had a dramatic conversion in the 1930s uh, to Christianity, to Jesus. She died quite young during World War II when she was active in the resistance. Uh, and that, one of her great insights, and she had many, was that affliction uh, can have a crit critically important purpose in spirituality to mature us into mothers and fathers in Jesus, to actually know God. But uh, let me just say, as I go into this topic here, I don't like the idea of affliction. Uh, I don't who not, who wants pain and trials. I it's not top of my list. And if you're a seven on the enneagram, you may have a particular aversion to pain or bad news. But I can't think of too many people I know that actually love affliction uh, and thus embrace God's purpose easily. So my, my goal here. Uh, in this podcast is, one, I want to reframe our understanding of affliction, uh, but then secondly, I want to help you uh, join God's purpose in it for you, and thus joining God's larger work in the world, because it's easier to enter affliction and end up opposing what God's seeking to do in and through us uh, in it. So when I'm talking about affliction, I'm, I'm talking about things such as betrayals or you know, the, the pains that come in leading other people, being hurt perhaps or terribly misunderstood. I'm talking about in affliction, hard things that we have to do, especially as leaders that are that are the right thing. Sometimes it's it's breaking, it's, it's ending a relationship that's not healthy or confronting a, a supervisor or a coworker uh, of something that lacks integrity or is unethical. It can be a, a circumstance that's particularly aggravating or frightening. 
Uh, it can involve anything from a, a broken relationship to caring for an aging parent or scars that uh, we may carry due to damage that's been done to us in the past. Uh, it, it can be a, a difficult uh, season of a marriage. Uh, it can be a difficult singleness. Uh, it can be something related to your family, whether it's your children or parents, just an affliction you're carrying or the death of a family member or a spouse or a painful disorientation of a world turned upside down by being let go uh, or fired. It can be a sickness. It's interesting, Simone Weil uh, had a lifelong sickness that she struggled with and actually it was during World War II and in England when she was there trying, seeking to aid the resistance in France that uh, when she was sick, she would eat only rations that the French were given of the Nazi occupation. Uh, and it was an affliction for her and she ended up actually dying. Uh, but affliction comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And uh, again, it could be cancers, physical, emotional, uh, fragileness of addiction, you name it. But my tendency, like so many other leaders I know, is we end up when affliction comes, we're shocked. Uh, it's a, it's a we say this is a horrific interruption and we end up denying it or over-spiritualizing it. Sometimes we, we medicate ourselves to distract ourselves from the pain. Sometimes we get blaming into other people or very angry, you minimize it. I like what one pastor said to me, Pete, I just power through afflictions in my life. And so what happens is what God's seeking to do in us in terms of developing us into true spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith uh, that gets aborted or cut off. And then what happens, it just, the, the affliction and work God wants to do in us simply bounces off us and we don't let God in. So let me summarize briefly Simone Weil's insight into affliction. Uh, and then I want to move us into the text of Jesus hanging on the cross uh, in the Gospels. Simone Weil uh, talked about how in, in affliction, we are forced to realize that nothing is within our grasp or control. In other words, all prestige, all power, all of our earthly hopes are now gone. They're absent. And you see, when we're exercising our power and our influence and believing that we're in control and we can make our own way in the world, we tend to put our hope in these things and things that we can grasp and hold on to. But affliction actually offers us an opportunity to stand before God with no obstacle or illusion between us and him. We actually can see God's love and goodness clearly. In other words, if we continue to love God and hope in God, when nothing circumstantially gives us any reason to hope, we actually receive his love, a revelation of his love in its purity. Uh, now, again, she, Simone Weil does not say affliction automatically leads us to a pure experience of God's love. Uh, we have to basically uh, follow Jesus' example here, which is Jesus continued to love the Father in the absence of the Father. Uh, in fact, no one, she writes, has ever been so abandoned or devoid of hope as Jesus was on the cross. The entire force of the world, physical, social, was turned against him, every demonic force that existed in the universe. He was abandoned and without any hope of deliverance. The entire force of creation was turned against him. And yet Jesus continued to love the Father, even though he couldn't see or understand what was happening. Why at this moment? So he cried out, my God, my God, why? And so even though God the Father was absent, utterly absent, Jesus still loved and remained faithful. Although again, humanly speaking, he had no hope. He was spiritually naked. He was actually physically, literally naked. 
And her insight is this, Simone Weiss, it's that we don't easily give up our positions and prestige that give us security in the world and function as a way for us to manage getting our daily bread. We like to think we're in control of the world. And she calls it a veil or a costume that we're wearing. And so what happens is we end up projecting this veil or costume to other people around us as if it's our identity. And what happens in affliction is that veil or costume is torn away, is ripped away. And at that point, we have a choice to basically love Jesus, love the Father, and let go of all earthly power and security and attachments. And if we continue to love in affliction and don't wish for our old costumes back, there's an opportunity for, she calls it, undiluted contact for us and God. And just as Jesus entered perfect union with the Father when he refused to clothe himself in power and prestige as he underwent affliction on the cross and being forsaken without hope, uh, he continued to love. And so when we do the same thing, we experience something incredible of God. So let's just go to the text for a minute now of, of Jesus hanging on the cross. If you remember, from noon to 3 p.m., there's darkness covering the whole land. Uh, there's deep gloom over the whole earth. It's like a sign language. Jesus is hanging there on the cross, again, physically, spiritually naked, and there's no voice from heaven coming saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased, like in the past. Uh, nothing. There's silence. God is silent. And so Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why? And actually, it says in, in the original Greek, in a mega voice, he says, why? He, he's the, the, the thrust of that sentence is, why have you forsaken me? Uh, you know, he doesn't scream and cry out, God is great or God is good. He doesn't cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He doesn't go, my God, my God, or the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't quote any great promises. He basically dies on that cross, Jesus asking a question. Now, again, he's taking on the judgment uh, on the sin of humanity upon himself, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. His, he, he descends into hell. Uh, his lifeline is cut. Jesus believes the Father loves him. Uh, he believes it. That's why he asks the question of why. Uh, he's always had the gift of the Father's present, but now he doesn't even feel that. Why actually is the most difficult question to answer. It's not, you know, it's just, the point is we can't know some answers. Job, the book of Job is a great illustration of that. It's why, why, why? Now, you're not dying for the sins of the world, nor am I. That's Jesus. But he is a pattern for us. We follow the crucified Jesus. And uh, Jesus teaches us something about what real faith is, and which is faith is staying with God even when we do not feel him. Real faith is calling on God when experience tells us he's not there. It's when, you know, feelings, see, feelings of God's presence, wonderful as they are, and I love it, feelings of God's presence are not God himself. Now, the cross is the pattern of our lives. In other words, what happened to Jesus uh, in some ways happens to us. That's why Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2. So the invitation here in this to you today is, you know, about why afflictions, how God develops true spiritual leaders is that invitation is to wait on the cross like Jesus, with Jesus. In other words, you can jump off these moments of affliction. Uh, I'm not talking about adapting yourself to a bad situation or doing the best you can. I'm talking about a hopeful, courageous, confident way of being, of facing the reality that's happening, surrounding us, 
And with all of our hearts, we remain in relationship uh, with the Father. We remain in communion, waiting, listening, open. Now, the, uh, the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was the miracle of obviously his resurrection. But the second greatest miracle actually was this, Jesus waiting on the cross uh, before the resurrection. Uh, it was a miracle. He doesn't jump off and do something, you know. And, but, but something happens in us first when we hang on and we wait in affliction on the Father. We love him even when we can't feel him or see. And we're asking why. We, can't, we, we don't know. But something happens in us first, and then something happens through us. In fact, there is no other way resurrection comes in us. There's no other way that level of transformation can happen in us and mature us into mature fathers and mothers of the faith, except through affliction. Now, now listen, affliction is painful. Just, just think of Jesus with me for a minute. They, they crucified him. They divided up his clothes. It's a horrendous way to die. It's a, by means of suffocation, actually. And uh, Roman citizens were exempt from it. But when they divided up Jesus's clothes, I mean, the point is Jesus was crucified naked, shamed, and it was slow. Uh, and the same way affliction is just slow. We too must wait. And we hold in that in-between of something's over and the new hasn't come. And then Jesus had offered wine mixed with myrrh. And it was meant to a way to, to ease the pain of what was happening to him. It was like administering morphine. Uh, you know, like a narcotic to take away Jesus' pain. But Jesus, you know, they thrust it at Jesus' lips and Jesus refuses it. He wants to be alert and awake. In the same way, it's interesting, isn't it? When we're in affliction, the temptation to uh, medicate, to somehow ease the pain somehow, it's offered to our lips as well. Some, but but we want to stay alert. So with, in our case, it might be drinking, it might be getting busy, it might be more work, it might be pornography, it might be shopping, whatever it is, but something to get away from the pain. And then they, then they tempt Jesus, now come down from the cross if you're the son of God, so we may come down and believe, and they mocked him. But Jesus hangs there, profoundly misunderstood, looks like a loser between these two thieves or rebels or ter- you know zealot, zealots, and, and the temple is standing, but Jesus isn't, he's being crucified. I mean, can you relate to that? And, uh, you know, so imagine Jesus, I mean, you know, jumping down from the cross and zapping everybody, you know, attacking and insulting people. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just so easy for us to say, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand for this affliction. And then what happens then is that the deep work of God in us gets uh, aborted, gets cut off and. Uh, it's not God's work in us is in birth than through us. This is actually a critical moment for all of our transformation uh, in God. So much is at stake because everything in you may want to run and quit. But when you're remaining and when you're persevering in communion, when even though it seems like God is silent, he's actually working powerfully in you and ultimately through you. In the Gospels, it talks about how when Jesus is hanging on the cross here, that the veil of the curtain of the temple is torn in two. And I want you, there's so much in that veil of the temple being, being torn. It's a great image for what's happening in us because the temple up to this point of Jerusalem was the place to go for God's revelation. Everyone, the nations were to stream to Jerusalem to meet God. But now, at this point, as the veil is, is torn in two, it's not going to Jerusalem. Now, the, the presence and the power and the glory of God's going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's what we see now in the book of Acts. And the temple, up to that point, had legitimized 
the segregation and separation of Jew-Gentile, priest and layperson, male and female, poor and crippled, blind, lame, unclean. They couldn't enter. But that's torn down too. Now the presence of God is open to everybody. We're all on equal footing. And the centurion cries out at the cross, you know, truly this is the son of God. He's he's the the first person after the death of Jesus to, to confess him. And, and uh, a pagan, a Gentile, and God widens his mission through, the re- through Jesus receiving affliction. And so in the same way, God widens his mission in the world when we cooperate with him through our afflictions. It's the pattern of Jesus. It's we too follow him. Many people uh, know the name Mother Teresa, but few know the full story behind her. She she's one of the greatest persons of the 20, 20th century. She uh, had founded a work, Missionaries of Charity, in over 22 countries. And she worked with the poorest of the poor, as you know. But after her death uh, in 1997, her journals were released, which showed that for 50 years, she experienced an intense affliction, the silence of God. And she began her work in 1949, and then she writes in a journal. I'm going to read you some excerpts from her journal because they're so powerful about her affliction. She says, a dark, a darkness began. She, quote, a deep loneliness of the heart. All within me, she writes, is icy cold, a terrible emptiness as she feels the absence of God. She writes, I am, the, I, I, the pain within me is so great, I feel nothing for all the publicity When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such a convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Before, I could spend hours before our Lord loving him, talking to him, and now not even meditation goes properly. My soul is like an ice block. I have nothing to say, and yet I want to know and do God's will, even in this hard, dark darkness. She refers to this feeling as cut off from God, an interior martyrdom. This went on for 50 years. That's why she's been called a saint of darkness. Yet deep down, she writes, somewhere in my heart, that longing for God keeps breaking through the darkness. Mother Teresa came to realize that her darkness was actually a treasure for her and her unique work. She eventually wrote, I have come to love the darkness. Now, from the time the darkness set in, she began to see the face of Christ in the eyes of the poor. And here's what her spiritual director told her. She said this, he said this, God was purifying her, keeping her humble against the applause, the publicity, and the praise that she was receiving around the world. What's so interesting is Jesus Uh, gave the reason of why the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day did not receive God's coming, God's purpose in the world through him. And he said this, he says this in Luke 11, 43, he goes, you, speaking to the Pharisees, religious leaders, you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. In other words, you're you're so caught up in being praised and applauded and loved and, and, uh, you, as a result, you're not cooperating with my purpose. And they, he calls them full of greed in, in earlier text. And so you see, God wants to free you. God wants to free me from everything that we hold on to, all these costumes and veils. And to do that, as affliction comes to us, 
He invites us to sink into the silence of God, allowing God's work in and on us to receive the affliction, to be faithful and love him in it, uh, and allow God to be done unto us. It's really, it's, it's a kind of dark night of the soul that John of the Cross writes about in uh, his famous book, The Dark Night of the Soul. And actually, that I introduce in the uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality the course uh, on the wall. And uh, many people, as I write about in, in that, in, that uh, in Emotionally Spirituality, many people turn back at the wall uh, at the dark night and quit because they can't see what God's doing. And John of the Cross, his great insight in the, six, in the 1600s, 1500s, was that you know, dark nights are the ordinary way that we grow in Jesus. Every believer, not just leaders, every believer has their wires and affections and passions reworked from the inside out. We get rewired through dark nights. And, uh, and John of the Cross in his great book goes into all of the things that happen inside of us and through um, dark nights or afflictions. He says God's purging and emptying us. He's stripping us to make us the men and women he's called us to be. He's not simply restraining our flesh. He is pulling out deep roots in us. And he actually lays out the seven deadly sins like pride or greed, discontentment and uh, wrath being easily irritated or spiritual gluttony that just wants God's gifts but not the cross, envy uh, and sloth and God's removing everything we're leaning on so he's dismantling us and uh, he's pulling out of us that deep self-will, that need for control and he's replacing it with the life of Jesus. In fact, if you've, uh, if you've never seen uh, the uh, first session of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, course, let me invite you to, to go. You can watch it for free uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. And you can see one of the sessions about uh, from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It gives you a taste of what I'm talking about here. But remember that loving union with God is the, is the, is the goal of all of existence. So you were created and I was created for loving union with, with God in Jesus. And so to do that, God's got to empty us out. He's got, he's got to empty us so he can fill us, uh, so he can birth himself through us. And, and, uh, but we've got to let go of these attachments to all these things we have. Uh, direct, we have goals, uh, but we've got to release attachments to that. We, gotta, we, we, we pray for what we want. We've got to say, okay, well, God, I want to surrender to what you want. And, uh, but it's emptying of all, we're going to be emptied of all created things to be full of what God wants to do in us. Friends, that uh, requires affliction. And we allow God to do his work in us. And our work at the wall is to stick with Jesus and to be patient when everything in us wants to quit. Again, what's real faith? It's staying with God even when you don't feel him. It's calling on God when your experience tells you God's not there. It's recognizing God is present even when it seems like he's absent. And so we want to integrate affliction into our lives, into our leadership, into our ministries, rather than minimizing it, stuffing it, or denying it. Listen, many of the people around us that we influence uh, follow their feelings for Jesus, not Jesus himself. 
And so we've got to go through this so we can become spiritual mothers and fathers, true leaders in Jesus. So we can help other people reframe it for folks and help them ex- ex- at the same time experience this kind of undiluted communion uh, with the Father uh, in Jesus through their afflictions rather than quitting or staying stuck uh, at a fixed level of immaturity in their lives. Because there are rich treasures uh, in affliction if we'll stay with God in them. In fact, when we end up on the other side of the afflictions, we are different people. Uh, You will probably barely recognize yourself. You'll become the extraordinary human being God intends. There is no other way to become that extraordinary human being except that you stay with him through those afflictions. You'll end up in places you never imagined with people you never imagined you'd be with because God's going to take you into whole new arenas. He can entrust to you power uh, because you've been emptied, uh, because there's been a, a brokenness, a weakness worked into you that was not there before. And your leadership, the way you lead will, will shift dramatically. You won't be rescuing people or functioning for people, but you'll actually allow people to go through their own uh, afflictions uh, and you know, God always has some people there uh, for us when we're in, when we're hanging on a cross and we feel like we just feel forsaken and alone. If you remember, it was the women who followed Jesus from Galilee who were there. They were watching. Uh, it's interesting. Mother Teresa had that spiritual director who over that 50-year period she had that she could go to. Uh, and God's going to have one or two people for you, even that lonely place. And I believe one of the core roles we play as leaders in the name of Jesus, whether we're leading a church or a parachurch or even leading our families and folks we influence is we help reframe what's going on for people and we stay with people watching in a sense uh, for the resurrection and that God has got it. It's going to be okay. So thank you so much. And I, I pray that God will give you grace today to stay with him. So again, let me invite you here as we close to our Leadership One Day uh, event on June 15th from 12 to 4 Eastern Time as we reimagine a new leadership scorecard for success. It's a life-changing shift to happen. It's a very unique online experience for pastors, teams, and leaders. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. And let me encourage you to do the... uh, pre-seminar assignment to invite you to read Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, send in a case study, uh, and you're going to receive that this, that document I, I, wrote, I wrote on the scorecard, New Leadership Scorecard for Success. So again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. Again, so good to be with you. And uh, I pray that you would uh, find God not just in the light, but you would also find God in the darkness. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine on you this day. Great to be with you, everybody. Have a wonderful day.